Welcome to episode number 204 of Destination Linux. Get your DLN mugs, take a sip, sit back, relax, and prepare to have open source and Linux goodness delivered directly to your frontal lobe. My name is Ryan, and with me today are two of the 2077 cyberpunks, Michael and Jill. Yay! Now, this week, I've been watching the community react to some news regarding CentOS. We're going to get into this subject in detail later in the show. We actually have the VP of Red Hat Engineering with us, Mike McGrath, joining us to go through all of these details and get all of your questions answered there today. This week, if that's not exciting enough, we're also bringing back Jill's famous, because it became famous, computer treasure hunt, where Jill is going to go through her museum of computers, pick one out for us and show us something amazing or something interesting from your find. And of course, we have our community feedback, gaming tips, tricks, and software picks, all of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. All right, so Jill, we're going to start this show off with something people are going to be very excited about, and that is you going through your museum of I don't know, 500, 600 computers, a <laughs> thousand, whatever number it is, and picking out some amazing tech from this museum to fill our brains with some information on. So what did you pull out of all the options that you had? Okay. So it's going to take me just a second. It's a, it's a little heavy, albeit small. <laughs> oh, I'm fascinated. I can't wait. <laughs> what is this? Okay. So this is a piece of history. This cute little computer is not much, it's not really much to look at, but it has a very unique and special place in my collection and in history. This is the new internet computer or NIC and is a Linux-based internet appliance released July 6, of 2000 by Larry Ellison and wow. Gina Smith's new internet computer company. And for a lot of you that don't know, Larry Ellison is co-founder and the CTO of the Oracle Corporation. <laughs> Interesting. Look yeah. at that. And so what are some use cases for that when it came out? What was its primary audience? Okay. So this was for the average user uh, to just get online. It, it, it's basically one of the first kind of the Chromebox or Chromebook. <laughs> hmm. uh, or, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a fad in around the early 2000s uh, for the internet appliances. And this system without a monitor, it actually sold for $199, which was cheap compared to, other, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> compared to the other options out there. Most of the other um, players in the market were $500 and up. And the unique thing about this little computer is it boots from a live CD-ROM with a custom Linux distri distribution. And that distro was developed by Wim Kokertz. And uh, he's, he's one of the people at Oracle. And he helped actually quick kickstart um, open source at Oracle. And he also worked for Microsoft. Interesting. What is a CD-ROM you speak of? <laughs> is that like a disk or? No, I'm teasing. That's interesting. Oh, you know, it's funny. It's the, the CD is actually in there. <laughs> so, 
I guess I should have taken it out to show you. <laughs> well, I think that's what's fascinating about your museum of computers is that they don't just sit there and collect dust. You rotate them through and actually actively utilize these devices to make sure, number one, they stay alive and in working condition. But number two, because you just love playing with these older machines and everyone, especially me as a hardware addict, am so jealous of your insanely amazing collection here. <laughs> but what are some, can you even get this thing online anymore? Yes, you can actually. Okay. So um, uh, the other interesting thing about this is it's boots from CD-ROM, but it has no hard drive. All it has is a four megabyte flash memory drive just for saving configuration files and other data. So what it has on the, on the disc is a 200 megabyte bootable CD-ROM with, okay, and this ancient, Linux 2.2.15 kernel. Wow. But it boots to Netscape Navigator, and, th and it was version 4.72 at the time. I think that's the version of kernel that Debian's still on. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> yeah. kidding, everyone. I'm still. kidding. Don't send hate mail. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, and um, on, on the interface, when you boot it, it goes, it goes uh, actually to a front page on Netscape where you can um, uh, connect to dial-up, DSL, or cable modem. And the other neat thing about this is that it actually comes with free ISP service from NetZero for dial-up. NetZero. I <laughs> yes. remember NetZero. <laughs> you remember all those yeah. discs? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> and it, it has a lot of uh, really nice software on it. Um, Reminiscent of the time, like Real Player, Real Player G2 for Linux. <laughs> nice. <laughs> An IRC client, a Windows Citrix client. And it has, of course, the Ace of Penguins Solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look <laughs> to at play that. Solitaire on Linux and several board games. And of course, it has a shell terminal, a Telnet terminal, and a VNC viewer client. How very cool. And you actually can. Uh, What's really neat is in uh, the browser's URL, you can actually launch an RxVT terminal or any other app that's on the distro. Because on the back end, what it's using is the black box window manager. Interesting. <laughs> I never of heard favorites. of that. I never heard of black box before. Is that oh. a good window? Is it still around? I guess I should ask first. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, okay. it's very much uh, still around. And um, it's what's used on the back end of Fluxbox to I give gotcha. you an idea, an open box. Okay. <laughs> so it's not i3, which is why I wasn't familiar with it because I only use i3. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, correct. Right. Because <laughs> I'm an i3 prodigy. At least that's what I call myself. Nobody else has called me that. No one has called me that. about calling yourself that. <laughs> right. Well, if yeah. I call myself that, then who else could take the title? I'm the original. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'll I'll show you the uh, this uh, tell you the specs of it. It's a 266 megahertz Cirrus CPU. Slow down there. You're gonna get a ticket. Cirrus. Yeah. So no, you can't play Quake on this. No, no. <laughs> unless you heavily modify it. But it only has 64 megs of RAM in, in a PC 100 DIM. And actually, that's you know that's not a lot for browsing <laughs> the no. internet. So, yeah. so the OS that's on the disk is, is just made for this hardware and it actually works pretty fast. You know, the CD-ROM sounds like a jet engine, you know, when it starts spin <laughs> spinning and you boot the computer. 
But you, then it gets quiet. <laughs> you know, that was a big issue back in the day because we used to build computers for people in my dad's shop. And the spinning of those drives when you get a really fast one would vibrate the whole case. So yes. We had to put special mounts and things in place to try to keep that sound down as much as possible. Yeah. 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 And this thing is loud. <laughs> it's kind of uncomfortably loud. The, both the power sp- supply with the fan and the CPU has a fan and uh, the CD-ROM. It, it, it's pretty loud. And I think over the years, it's gotten louder. <laughs> of course. Very cool. Nice. Well, this is an awesome piece from your museum, Jill. I absolutely yeah. love it. Look at the back of that. So uh, the other unique thing about this um, is it has two USB ports. And I actually had never used the USB ports and, until um, um, just a few days ago when I was setting up for this this particular segment because I'd always used PS2 m- mouse and yeah, keyboard. I see those PS2 green and purple colored connectors yeah. there. Yeah. So, you know, it it worked with USB, which it should. Although, for those of you that don't know, is the USB flash drive was actually introduced in the year 2000. And it's a uh, shame it doesn't have an HDMI port. You know, they should have really been right. ahead. <laughs> they should have been ahead of their time. I mean, come on. Right. Classic VGA. Yeah. <laughs> and the one thing I've had fun with it is running different Linux Live CDs on it. Um, everywhere from Jinx OS, which is actually Jinx is cool because it's a full featured Linux distro, especially made for older computers with only 64 megs of RAM. So that runs really nicely. And I've had an older version of Debian-based um, antics on here and Tiny Core Linux <laughs> run on here. Nice. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's definitely a piece of history. It's not much to look at. And the other interesting thing is that this one is white. Most of the ones, if you look online for them or on eBay, they're all black. So I think the mm. white was the r- rarer color because most of them... I've found we're black. <laughs> That's very cool. I love this because I think this happens with everybody that listens to this segment. It takes them back. Just something mm-hmm. you say specifically, seeing the PS2 ports, number one. But number two, thinking about um, the, the different internet providers back then. And yeah. I thought I was the bomb, Michael, because I'd shotgun two 56K modems together. <laughs> Man, oh. I, was, I was a speed demon on the internet. I was playing Ultima online faster than any of those pleb noobs out oh, there. Who were getting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, is noobs. cool. Yeah, that absolutely. was cool. I actually was fortunate in 1998. I had cable modem. So um, I got to skip from I went from dial up to cable and got to sp- skip DSL completely. Which well, we'll was probably find nice. your family invented it knowing you, Jill. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, right? Right? It was actually it's, it's kind of funny because the same kind of thing happened to me when I was I was I thought I had some like tech like right, I didn't do the, the shotgunning thing, but I I had increased the speed of my dial up modem and I was like so excited. Over, and then I went to a oh, friend's house cool. and they had cable. I was like, oh, what am I missing? What is this? <laughs> I know. What is this magic? Three megabit, but that was so huge, you know, back yeah. then. <laughs> it's a game changer for sure. Well, thank you, Jill, for doing that. And we'll, we're going to bring this segment back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to rotate it in and out. So we're going to do this on a regular Yay. basis. It'll so take us fun. about a thousand episodes to get yeah. through <laughs> yeah, exactly. half of Jill's. I, my last count was over 650 computers, and that was several oh years gosh. ago. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, well, I'm well, very happy there's somebody out there archiving this and keeping <laughs> these machines alive because it is important that we see where we've come from and how far we've come, I think, is just amazing. 
Yeah, it's like it's like you know, we we, we named this this uh, the segment like the treasure hunt with Jill, and we're we're gonna be like to kind of go like visit through her museum as a curator. Jill joins us in the next week or curator. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, Michael, take us into community feedback. What's our community talking about these days? So we got a, we got an email this week, and it's really interesting because we talked about how in previous episodes Ryan had kind of given a hint that if you give a compliment. Uh, it might get in the top in in the thing, and it's this, not a hint. It's just it's, a fact. okay. It's outright statement. Yes, of course. <laughs> but anyway, in our community segment uh, this week comes from John, and I thought his email came at such a great time to prepare ourselves for the rest of the show. In fact, so he says, "Hey gang, a longtime listener, full time Linux user, uh, full time uh, first time commenter." And first, let me thank all of your the, the hosts for the past and present for bringing passion, uh, knowledge, and enjoyment to Destination Linux. It's great to have a place that recognizes the epic, epic Linux infighting and makes light of it instead of wallowing <laughs> in it. You provide a great place for people for just dipping a toe into Linux and FOSS to learn about how the, the community and, and instead of engaging in all the holy war shenanigans that happens. And also, second, just let me say, insert obligatory comment to Ryan here. And I really mean that. Compliment, yeah. <laughs> So I, I love this because I get to make my own compliment of and I right. up here and I'm glad he thinks I'm the smartest person on the show. Of course, it's because of the IG prodigy. He knew that that's what it was. And yeah, and totally. I, I also am really glad that he he had put in there specifically that he really means that you know that. that I like how comment. he just put a space in there. <laughs> Insert your own compliment. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And he says, third, I have a cross-platform command line utility you might want to share with your listeners if you haven't already. So he says, I stumbled on glances where when trying mm. to figure out if my average processor load for was training my 2014 iMac converted to Kubuntu. He says, the iMac is still going strong, by the way. Like, basically, glances is, an, is, a, is a tool to keep track of like the... Uh, it's similar to like HTOP and that sort of stuff. Getting looking yeah. at your statistics and that sort Much of stuff. Much fancier version of it. Yeah, yeah. and we 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 covered this in a previous episode of uh, Destination Linux ninety three. In fact, uh, it, but it is a great reminder for those who have not heard of it because it has been many episodes ago. Uh, and also, it's a good opportunity to let you know that we have a list of all the all the picks that we've had on our show. So you can go to destinationlinux.org/slash/picks. You can see everything that we've covered throughout the existence of the show, and uh, that's on there as well uh so anyway thanks thanks for the sending in the email john and he he says uh p.s uh thanks again for creating entertaining informative content and never failing to insert obligatory michael dig here wait what i love that <laughs> that's not i actually can't beat you up today michael because you were on time you right? nailed it and uh, we looked totally professional until until you turned your camera on in the middle of the interview. But other than well, I don't that, know what you're talking <laughs> about. I don't know what you're I talking about. Edit, yeah. Edits are fantastic. So yeah, <laughs> the people won't see it exactly. So we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee, sit down on the nearest stool, and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Maybe you want a more social way to send in feedback. Then sign up to the DLN community forum. Go to dlnforum.com to get started. Yay! Nice. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the App Platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Python, Go, Node.js, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. 
DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you not 20, not 30, but a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. And I just want to mention that DigitalOcean has also sponsored my organization, the Linux Chicks of Los Angeles. Nice. And they provided us also with a $100 credit to each of our members who attended our LAMP stack install meetup. Our members learned how to create an Ubuntu Linux droplet at DigitalOcean and then install LAMP web server in it. So they've been just nice. so good in the community. They've sponsored um, our, they sponsor the Linux Chicks of Los Angeles website, as well as us at the Southern California Linux Expo. So yeah. again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean again for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. And just for being an awesome member of the community helping out. They're just such a pillar. They're in amazing. There. You know, they take they take this money and they donate it into the causes that they love and are passionate about and are really involved in the open source community in a way that a lot of companies aren't. And I say that regardless of them being a sponsor or not. They're just an awesome yeah. company. So go check awesome them out. Awesome company. We all use them here. <laughs> we would like to give a very special welcome to Mike McGrath. Mike is the Vice President of Linux Engineering at Red Hat and has graciously agreed to come on the show to talk about the recent changes announced with CentOS. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us here today. Hey, uh, it's good to be here. I'm happy to uh, make as much of this known as, as we possibly can. It was a pretty big announcement. So, Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I'm sure you guys have been busy dealing with some of that announcement and things. So I think I want to start off talking about that to make sure everybody's on the same page defining what CentOS Stream is, because a lot of different articles and people's opinions and things have been out there. Some are calling it a rolling release. Some are calling it a pre-release model, a beta development branch. There's all these different terms that are thrown out there. What's the official stance on what describes CentOS Stream in your, in your view? Yeah, and I, I can even go into why there has been some confusion, because uh, one of the things that got lost at the announcement last week was that we actually made a change to CentOS Stream. And even I forget that uh, uh, that, that had happened. So uh, first, let me just say that CentOS Stream is the development branch of where RHEL is happening. And so there's actually a really good blog post by Steph Walters on the, on the website. Uh, yeah. Steph did a really great job kind of describing our development process just in general. We've had a you know a CentOS stream kind of deliverable internally forever. That's how we build RHEL, and uh, now we're just doing it in the public, and we're calling that CentOS stream. And so the the way to think of it is uh, RHEL and CentOS stream are basically the same thing, but with very different delivery vehicles and lifecycle and update stream. So where where RHEL is going to group a bunch of those deliveries together. CentOS Stream is kind of, you know, sort of the peak behind the curtain of us actually doing that work in real time. And Jill, we were talking before the show and you were kind of mentioning that 
this has been something you've been seeing the the, the message about coming a long time ago. This isn't something yeah. that just popped up in your mind even. Yeah. You know, there I have seen in in previous articles that they talked about there was a development version that was going to be the latest and greatest and yeah. um you know upstream derail. So I I knew that was a thing. It was coming down the pike. Yeah. It was coming. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess I would, the only other thing I would say is some people have confused CentOS Stream for Fedora, for example, because Fedora is uh, our upstream. Like that's how we describe it. But in reality, RHEL is a fork of Fedora. We find the mm. version of Fedora that we want, we take it. And then from then on, you know, once, we, once we've officially got the bootstrap done and all that stuff done, at that point, it's, you know, RHEL is its own self sustaining thing. Uh, Stream is now very tightly coupled to RHEL in a way that Fedora isn't. And so, you know, that's just another thing to, to think about. So CentOS Linux has been the, the go-to RHEL alternative for many years, and some have, uh, are confused about why the change even happened. So can you give us some insight as to why this change is being made just in general? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the the big question. So, uh, so keeping in mind that so far we've talked just about CentOS Stream, uh, and I'm going to assume that your your audience mostly knows what CentOS Linux is, uh, but just to, let me give you the let me give you the corporate speak uh, of what you know how how we refer to it internally. Uh, and so for us, CentOS Linux was a downstream rebuild of the Red Hat Enterprise Linux source code. Uh, we make our uh, according to the GPL, we have to make our source code available to all of our customers, but we do and always have gone a step beyond that and made our source code available to anyone that wants to go download it. Um, there's about half a dozen or so uh, rebuilds of, of of RHEL out there, of which CentOS Linux was the most popular. Uh, it started off as a uh, community distribution, um, and then we required it uh, sometime, I think it was like late 2013, early 2014, something like that. I think it happened late 2013, and then the announcement went out early 2014, that kind of thing. I, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the news around that time, they, you know, CentOS was having some problems They, you know, they had trouble getting releases out at times. And, you know, I just remember a few other non-flattering news stories from the time. Uh, as it happened, we needed, uh, you know, Red Hat needed better mind share and, and better, you know, you know, a couple of things from, from CentOS that were useful to us. So we kind of brought them in, hired a lot of the core contributors and uh, have supported it for several years up until just recently. And so now to finally get to your, your question, uh, you know, why, why have we done this? And, and, uh, you know, people are asking, also asking like, why now? Uh, well, first, a lot of stuff has changed since 2014, just in the industry. Um, there's a lot more as it relates to uh, uh, containers going on. And to, to counter that, we've released uh, something called the Universal Base Image, UBI, which is a, uh, uh, it's not the entire RHEL content set, but it's a subset of proper RHEL content set. It is the actual RPMs that we release. They are released under terms that allow them to be redistributable, all kinds of stuff that starts to sound a lot like CentOS. And so suddenly now we've got this thing that is not right for everybody, not right for a lot of people, but it is right for uh, a lot of development use cases and partners and other things. And so that was kind of like one thing we did that CentOS Linux suddenly becomes less useful um, we also, uh, in that time, released our Red Hat developer program, uh, which allows you to download you know, RHEL proper, the actual RHEL bits. I think it also works with all of our products, but certainly the RHEL bits um, are the ones I care about at least the most. That's, that's not a rebuild of RHEL, that is actual RHEL proper, and you can download that and use it for development use cases. And uh, we've recently started talking about greatly 
uh, increasing those uh, uh, those programs. So uh, that was also part of the announcement was, you know, uh, in er the first half of 2021, we're going to announce additional REL uh, use cases. Uh, and so we're thinking about things like, you know, what do we do in educational institutions? What do we do with uh, internally? Uh, we've kind of referred to like the individual enthusiast, which would include me and anybody else out there running a mail server uh, in your in your basement or wherever else. That kind of use case is prohibited in the developer program. Uh, internally, one of these one of these cases I use to test these things is what would happen if I set up a webcam that looked at uh, you know a bird's nest outside my window and just kind of streamed that online. That that use case, one that Red Hat would never make a dime on, nor do we want to make a dime <laughs> on that. Uh, that is actually against the terms of service for the developer program. And so we've we uh, we've started to take a closer look at that. Uh, believe me when I tell you that I wish that those programs were ready today, uh, but they are not. And they're very complicated to, to come up with terms that, for example, allow an institution like a university to use a free or very low cost version of RHEL for research, but then also prevents that same license from being reused in their Big Ten football uh, programs. And right. so those terms mm -hmm. are kind of hard to put together. And But we could do all of those things, but then what about CentOS Linux? Like, why couldn't we just leave CentOS Linux alone? And there's kind of two schools of thought on that. Uh, one is CentOS Linux, now that we have all this other stuff, just isn't being as helpful to Red Hat as we would have hoped it would be at this point. Um, the, you know, the, the community never really evolved in any way uh, with the industry, and it just hasn't been that useful for us. And so while a lot of people are asking us, why are you ending CentOS Linux? The question that we had been asking ourselves is why are we continuing to do CentOS Linux? Like I'm the guy that has to go through and approve budget reports, you know, budget requests and servers. And, you know, we've got hiring decisions we've got to make. Like, why would we keep doing this thing? Uh, we decided that it just wasn't uh, uh, wasn't worth it anymore. And we did that knowing that the code is still out there and that, um, you know, other people may spin up uh, rebuilds and there were already rebuilds out there, I think. In the first three days, two other ones were announced, and one even has a migration path, and we're fine with that. So that's interesting. So that just to kind of break that down, you guys are, are creating some more options within RHEL today. So that use cases like education, people wanting to do projects at home, that type of thing, they could potentially in the future have that option to use RHEL as a base and be able to explore those opportunities to kind of fill in some of the gaps where CentOS typically would have filled in for it in the past. I guess my question is, why not wait for those options to be ready before pulling the plug on CentOS? Or do we think before the support ends in CentOS that we'll have those options kind of available to us? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So uh, in the announcement, I think it was in Chris Wright's blog, uh, we're committed to uh, having those programs announced in the, I think the words that they use are in the first half of 2021. Now, Obviously, a lot of the feedback that we've gotten, you know, we're, we're accelerating those programs as quickly as we can. And you're not, I don't think that you're going to hear one announcement. It's going to be several as we, we get them. In terms of wait, not waiting for those, you got to keep in mind, like this wasn't a Red Hat only decision. CentOS sure. has a board. Mm -hmm. um, that board consists of uh, Red Hatters and community members. And, uh, you know, we've been negotiating with the board for a very long time. They could have voted this down. And I don't want to say that, you know, they, 
I think Johnny uh, Johnny Hughes had a, a quote on LWN that was, I think it was on the Sensehouse Devel list. You can go back and find it. Uh, Johnny is one of the fiercest community uh, advocates that you could find in this in the Sensehouse community, and uh, I think that he he rightly summarized it as something like, you know, they they reluctantly but did unanimously vote uh, to approve this path forward, and uh, and so uh, once that decision had been made. I think nobody wanted to sit on it. Right now, um, CentOS Linux 6 just ended. Tons of people are moving to CentOS Linux 8 right now, the, the one that was impacted. If we Every day that we wait, that is a bigger and bigger impact to the CentOS community. The, some of the estimates I've seen say that roughly 90% of CentOS Linux users are on 7 right now. And that group, while they've got some decisions to make in the future, that group is going to continue on, be able to continue on exactly as they had expected until 2024. And so not great that the information or not great that all of our programs aren't ready, completely agree. But this was material information that we felt needed to be out there so people could make their decisions. And this decision was only made a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. You know, basically as long as it took us to write the announcements and then do some pre-briefing with partners and some specific, uh, you know, CentOS community people. After that, it was, you know, we got it out there. Yeah, Mike, um, I've actually been using CentOS for uh, rendering um, animation and 3D graphics Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And I wanted to know, you know, what advantages does CentOS Stream have over CentOS Linux? You've touched on this a little bit, but are there some more advantages that might help me? Or um... Yeah, I, it's, it's a good question. So there is what CentOS Stream is today, and I'll talk about that. And then there's also what we want CentOS Stream to be in the future. Um, and so CentOS Stream today, if you, uh, you know, while you're doing your animations, find a bug uh, that is impacting you. Um, but that may not be critical enough for us to sync asynchronously uh, in some way. You know, it's not like a, a shell shock or something. You potentially would have to wait, you know, six months for the next release to come out for that bug to get fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, with CentOS yeah. Stream, you could report that bug and get it fixed. In theory, you know, this won't happen often, but in theory, that could happen in a couple of days turnaround time. If the, you know, if the engineers happen to get to it in time, that, that aspect of it, I think, is going to be very popular. Another big difference is with CentOS Linux, and this was, you know, I, I don't fault the CentOS community for this at all. This was just kind of how we had it set up in a way that wasn't working for anyone, uh, is that bug that you had or, or even a feature request that you might have, there's really nothing for, no way for you to do anything about that bug. You can't open a mm-hmm. bugzilla about it because we very, you know, we sell support. So we specifically ignore problems that come in from CentOS, you kind of just have to cross your fingers and hope that some other community or some other uh, Red Hat customer is going to have that problem. Uh, with CentOS Stream, and we've got we're getting GitLab all set up, like you know, full modern development workflow. You'll be able to report a bug. You'll be able to submit a pull request if you want, and we'll go through and review that pull request. Um, you know, you can't. No non-Red Hat is ever going to be able to merge that request. Uh, you know, we do have to. We have auditing and other things that we need to. You know, that is, is our product that you're you might be contributing to, but you'd be allowed to do that. So that's what CentOS Stream, you know, that we're hoping to get to. Additionally, if you wanted to do, you know, Fedora's got the concept of spins. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, mm-hmm. CentOS, uh, we're trying to invest heavily in the SIGs. And so even if you had some specific use cases uh, that that Red Hat doesn't care about, or, you know, that we're just, we're not interested in, you and other people that are doing things that you're doing, could go create a CentOS SIG and do all of your work there in sort of a side channel. 
that is completely compatible and in sort of an official way with CentOS. Um, you know, somebody could add your SIG repo and suddenly, you know, everybody gets these great designer tools on your, uh, on your CentOS mm. system. And that's, a, that's another thing we're, we're really looking forward to. It's nice. a healthy community. Oh, wonderful. Yes. Sounds great. Just to clarify, <laughs> uh, when you say SIG, you're talking about special interest groups, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And, yeah, and those, by the way, were started from um, animators. <laughs> that oh, was a term that, that came nice. out about from, from ZGraph. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's, yeah. That's good. So, what environments will CentOS Stream not work in where seven or eight works today? And then what are your, you know, you touched on education and maybe user cases, but those who have deployed it maybe in a um, more professional environment in which they felt they didn't need the RHEL support for whatever reasons, what are their options going forward? Okay, yeah. So um, one of the big differences you're going to notice is that if you're trying to use CentOS Stream, eight or CentOS stream nine in the future, and you want to use that past five years, uh, you're not going to be able to do that. Both of those end at about a five-year mark, um, much longer than something like Fedora, but half, at least half of the time that you would traditionally have had with CentOS uh, or with uh, or with RHEL proper, um, as it would be. And so uh, for the people that were you know setting it up and forgetting it, you could take a look at Stream and hope that'll work for you. You could take a look at the new programs in RHEL, which uh, may also work for you. There's a lot of use cases there. If none of those do, then you may have to go find some other, you, you know, you've got to go find something else to do. And maybe that's one of the newly announced uh, CentOS rebuilds, one of the existing rebuilds that's already out there. Like I said, there's half a dozen. Um, like, I, and I say this, and I, you know, I really do mean this, we're okay with that. Like, we're not trying to kill uh, the community there, it's just, we didn't feel like we needed to be directly sponsoring and supporting it anymore. Yeah, I think so, that's a really uh, important yeah. point that you're making there that, you know, for all the people who have contentions with this, that you guys are not trying to stifle any of that other stuff. If somebody wants to go create that CentOS reboot, you're, you know, go for it if, if that's what you want to do. And that may be a project somebody goes forward. And I think that's a very important stance and kind of the stance that, Frankly, a lot of us expect from Red Hat and have gotten used to that kind of trustworthy uh, way of going about business, frankly. Yeah, for, the, just the fact that the CentOS, the Red Hat, the rail aspects of the source code are all connected in that way, and, and especially more so with the streams, it, it's very interesting in that. But there are people who are curious about like the, the way they currently deploy a CentOS as solutions, but, that they, but they don't require a support contract. So mm-hmm. based on those programs you talked about earlier, is there a path to continue with a supportless deployment of rail in one of those kinds of programs? Okay, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about this. I'll, I'll put some of this will get a little bit businessy. Uh, so grab coffee if you need to, uh, and some of this is just more general. Um, I should uh, I should make my background known. I'm actually an ops guy by trade. Um, oh, I see I see coffee there. Great, Joe. Um, I, you know, prior to Red Hat, I worked at uh, at Orbitz, which is a you know an online uh, ticket sales uh, company, uh, and uh, I ran OpenShift Online. I was the Fedora infrastructure lead for many years. I say that just to give everybody a clear understanding, like I know how operations work. That's a passion of mine, always has been. Um, uh, There's still something that in my current position, I miss greatly, but uh, also building Linux is super fun. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to stick around here for a while. Not, it's not a job pitch if somebody is out there. Uh, <laughs> so for those of you that are that don't want support, 
Uh, we actually have an offering like that uh, that exists. I've, I've seen it out there. I don't know how well we advertise it, but if you don't need support, it's out there. But that is not a free offering. There is, it is, it's one of the lower cost offerings. I forget how much it is, but you know, that, that is something out there that you could get. If you are in a, a group that is doing, you know, massive scale with, with RHEL and maybe you've got really tight margins and paying for RHEL is never going to make sense for you. Uh, I'm not saying that there's uh, going to be no, no uh, offering there, but th- those are the kinds of use cases that we're looking at, but certainly uh, I guess let me put it this way. I'll, I'll try to be more more blunt about it. Not every CentOS use, not every CentOS Linux user today is going to find a home in CentOS Stream or UBI or developer program. There are going to be a class of them that you know, uh, and I'm going to you know mostly in the we could but don't want to pay for Rel land. Um, you know they're going to be you know they're going to have some decisions to make. Um, but we are looking at, there are a lot of other use cases, like I mentioned with education institutions, uh, CI, one of the other ones I didn't mention earlier was like a, a community CI environment. The first one we're looking at is to allow open source, uh, community environments to be able to better use rel. It's surprisingly hard as a community person today, even as a red hat employee, if you're running a community, trying to get rel in that community, very hard to do today. I'll give you an example. If you set up CI that you want to test against RHEL and there's a bug in that somewhere, if you then go and download your broken image that, you know, the CI failed, uh, I think most would agree that that's redistribution, completely forbidden by the terms right now. And so we are trying to figure out how to do some, I, I just wanted, I had the opportunity to give the pitch. Like we are really trying to find a good use for CI environments and for open source communities. Uh, just in general. So I, that's I what matters, you know, personally, just taking this personally to me, the most is that the education and the, the situations that impact the digital divide are taken care of. A business needs to make money. I work for a very large corporation as well, and we have to bring in streams of money. We can't just give everything for free, but there are things and causes that we get involved in to make sure that we can get it to people who otherwise would have no access, otherwise couldn't afford it. The future system admins that may not have a library or the schooling or the ability to pay for a $349 license, they can still become the next sysadmin and play in RHEL and enjoy it and do that without any problem occurring with them. And those type of use cases to me are the most important things that the company, the open source company Mm -hmm. specifically, is giving back into the community through the education and allowing your future generations otherwise couldn't afford it to still be able to play on the same infrastructure that when they grow up and get old enough to get a job in, they're going to be familiar with because they're playing with the actual product without having to worry about licensing issues. And it sounds like that's really where your focus is and making sure a lot of those use cases are taken care of. And, and personally, that's the most important part to me. Yeah. With CentOS being um, an upstream to RHEL, Many people are wondering where Fedora fits in. You mentioned this a bit. Could you give us a little bit more detail and what the, does this mean for the Fedora project? Yeah, and I, I guess I'll, I will first say that Fedora has a very special place in my heart. <laughs> um, I see Neil Gampa in your chat there. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> seen Neil, seen Neil in, uh, many times at uh, the Flocks and before then and the FUDCons, and this year it was the Nests and things. Yeah, Fedora actually... Uh, despite its pains and, and, and struggles, which is what that should, you know, building distribution should be hard. And Fedora is a really great example of that. 
uh, you know, in spite of some of the, the, the flame ups you see on Fedora Devel and elsewise, like it's done a great job uh, doing what we need it to do, which is this really fine line between being a valid desktop OS, which is what I'm talking to you now on, um, but that also serves as a great downstream rebuild for RHEL. And so I've been very happy with what uh, Fedora's been able to do. Matthew Miller is the Fedora project lead. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, He's Great. really helped, helped uh, bring Fedora to what it is. And so no announcements on Fedora. There's no changes there. I'm not expecting any changes to come soon. If you are somebody that wants to do new and interesting things in the operating system, or you want to make significant changes to something like in an it system or whatever that may be, Fedora is still the place to go. And uh, yeah, I don't, if you're using Fedora today, there's no no change there, no nothing. Um, if you're a partner or you know, Red Hat partner or something else, you've got more options than you had before. Uh, but otherwise, no no changes to Fedora at all. So good because Fedora awesome. is uh, taken over <laughs> our podcast and yes. our community by stream in its latest release. Uh, a lot of that probably has to do with Neil and Matthew Miller and their incredible involvement in the community. But a lot of it has to do just with all of the talented people that are contributing to that. Uh, I'm the youngest one in Linux here. I've only been in Linux four years. And um, Fedora really wasn't on my map previously. But these last releases, everything in my house is Fedora. I call it Frank's mm-hmm. red hot sauce of Linux now, where I just put it on everything. Um, they're just they're killing it over there. So I'm really excited to hear uh, nothing's going to change for them. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to for like the, the, the what's Fedora's doing and I switched to it recently and like the ButterFS stuff like the the stuff that Fedora is allowed to have this you know free range of just ideas and stuff like that is, is such Innovate. an yeah it's, it's an exciting <laughs> thing that they're able to do that uh, and looking forward to what what are some of the exciting things that you see for CentOS and the team that are for that like the streams offers you to go forward yeah I think you know this is this is kind of what the bet is, right? I mean, you know, this is, this was, you know, we, we're not, we're not dumb, despite what I've heard many times this week. <laughs> we, oh, no. we, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we do, uh, uh, you know, we want to see CentOS become a thing that is interesting and thriving. And, and the fact is uh, up until uh, stream, CentOS Linux was always a community of users. And so the new types mm-hmm. of things that you're going to see there are going to be, uh, some community-driven, some partner-driven, a lot more collaboration happening in the open um, with Red Hat. I'm, you know, if you're a partner that wants to work directly on RHEL, there's actually not a good place to do that right now. Um, you know, we do do a lot of enablement of new features and hardware throughout the RHEL releases. And keep in mind that this is all after Fedora's already happened. And so I think that you're going to be able to come and see a lot of those uh, features in real time. I think for the users out there, for some of our partners, maybe you've just purchased a server, or maybe you you realize in two years, you know, you're going to be replacing your servers with new ones that are coming from some vendor. You can go and watch that stuff happen in real time and participate, and maybe even test to make sure that the new stuff is working with the old stuff. You can do that in real time, uh, whereas before you kind of just had to wait until RHEL came out and keep your fingers crossed because. If it didn't work, then you might be on your own for six months. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, for me, it is the for me, it's all about that multi-directional collaboration and stuff uh, that wasn't happening in in the CentOS project as it as it exists today. Well, Mike, thank you for going through this gauntlet of questions after an already fun week that I'm sure you've had of going oh, through boy. gauntlets of questions and meetings <laughs> and things. Personally, I'm very excited yep. for where this project goes. 
also, you mentioned in the show about your history with Linux and little birdies have told us you have quite an interesting journey and we would love to have you on in the future, not to talk about CentOS and answer the gauntlet of questions, <laughs> but just talk about your Linux journey. It's something we've, we've done in the past with a lot of people, including Matthew Miller, and it's just the audience really loves to hear how people got started in Linux, how they got their career kicked off. So we look forward to having you back on the show, but thank you so much for joining us today on Destination Linux to discuss this. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll uh, I'll mute my mic in my video, and I, I think I'm going to stay on and see how the rest of the show goes. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> thank you. You know what time it is? It's time for you. Yes, you right there listening right now to Destination Linux to get a good password manager a password manager that you can trust. And that password manager is Bitwarden. That's the one we all use here in the Destination Linux network. We used it, by the way, before they ever became a sponsor. We loved it so much that we wanted them to come on to get the word out about this amazing password management tool. It has all kinds of amazing security features in there, allowing you to create complex password phrases, complex passwords that include specialized symbols and characters and numbers and all kinds of ways, different ways to lock this down with multiple authentication methods. It's 100% open source, but even better, well, I don't know if even better, but as good as being 100% open source, you've got all these people auditing the code. They also take it and go to third-party vendors to have them audit the code as well to make sure that everything they can do to make sure that this is a protected platform that you can trust is done. So I want you to go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. You can get started for free, but they also have a $10 per year premium account. That's $10 per year, not per week, per month, per year. And that's going to give you a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP, Authenticator, Storage, and Gen, priority customer support. Make the smart move like so many in the community. And by the way, I love when I see that in a community, like I finally switched over to Bitwarden and I'm loving it. I love seeing those messages and Telegram and stuff. Head to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And we thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. This week in our gaming section, we're going to talk about something that has just absolutely brought back nostalgia for me of, of likes I haven't seen since Elder Scrolls came out. My wife lovingly calls the Elder Scroll Morrowind release the time she was widowed from a video game. And, because, <laughs> and she hasn't been widowed from a video game <laughs> since that time. So that's how long it's been since I found a game that I obsess about. And I'm like, I've got to get back in and play again. And that is Cyberpunk 2077. I'm sure you've heard of it. And if you haven't, then you need to get out from under that rock because this <laughs> game is so cool. It's the most anticipated game release of the year it actually is living up to the hype this is a huge undertaking there are people who are complaining things about bugs here and there and stuff but this is a gigantic cyberpunk open world game created by the creators of the witcher franchise cd project red this open world rpg allows you to go along with the story very in-depth storyline or you could just go run off and do whatever you want and create your own adventures in this massive world it's such an amazing game that i even got the headset to go along with it look at this look at this oh, yeah, oh, because i can't really get into the cyberpunk world unless i have cyberpunk <laughs> headphones to go there along go. with it right cyberpunk if you, if you don't, if you don't join the branding concept of the cyberpunk, you don't really get the full experience. I'm a sucker of... for that kind of stuff, man. I, I will, I will, especially a game like this. 
But I think the most interesting thing about this project is that four years ago when I started in Linux, there would have been no way I could have played this game in Linux. It wouldn't have even been an option. We probably would have been talking about something else entirely during the show, like some other game that nobody's interested in because everybody's talking about cyberpunk. But today in Linux, thanks to the work that Valve has done and thanks to the work that Code Weavers has done, you can play this title. Well, Michael, clarify, because it's not yeah. perfect, you, you can, but you actually have the opportunity to play. Which, which is awesome, because thanks to Valve and Code Weavers using the Proton platform, and just thanks to them for making the Proton platform in the, in the first place makes it possible for this to even happen. But the fact that they made a new release of Proton with 5.13-4, specifically the day before Cyberpunk 2077 mm-hmm. comes out so that there would be support for Cyberpunk 2077, uh, by the way, that's a very long name to say. It's fine to type out, but that's a very long name to say. Anyway, uh, so they they made they made it the release the day before, and to have day one support for it is just amazing that they even made it possible at all, much less the day of. And it's fantastic because it's it makes it possible for people for us to play a game that we, as you said, we wouldn't expect it to be available at all or if not for months or years at some point but there is it is worth noting that it's not available for all users of linux because it needs a latest version of proton it needs some updates to the mesa graphics stack and depending on your distribution you may or may not have access to those updates and it also matters about like what type of hardware you have so if you have amd radeon you're pretty much good to go but if you have an NVIDIA GPU, uh, it depends on the particular driver, whether or not you have that. And depending on your distro, you may or not may or may not have the ability to update to those drivers. So just keep in mind that you it, it is supported on Linux now, which is fantastic through Proton. But it is such a new game that it's, it's not going to be like completely everywhere uh, right at the moment. Uh, but you can check out the ProtonDB.com page that talks about this game. And it'll tell you like what... Uh, the experiences for other people who have it on their their systems and their distros and have tried it out and that sort of stuff. And we'll have links for the ProtonDB uh, page for you to check that out in the show notes. Well, I will mention too, because you know a lot of all of our content is family-friendly and things. This particular game is not family-friendly. You no. do not want to play this mm-hmm. with your kids around or anything else. Even the it tutorial shows you it is not family-friendly. Grand Theft Auto-like <laughs> game. So you know it is open-world exploration and things, but to the point where... For me, it was just easier to get in on PlayStation 4, which is in my master bedroom, and just play it there where no kids could ever come in with my headphones on and that type of thing. But I love that it is available for those that need to play it or want to play it on PC. And uh, Neil said, one of our patrons in the comments, that it's currently kind of buggy, but that's true on Windows. Uh, it's true everywhere, even on PlayStation stuff. There are some bugs, but honestly, that's not... When you have a game this big, when the world's this big, you're going to have that stuff. And I've been following the developers. They're actively quickly patching and fixing things yeah. as it comes along. And nothing's been game-breaking for me as far as I've like lost hours of time or anything like that. It's kind of just like a random crash when you enter an area and you got to restart and little things like that, which aren't a big deal to deal with, I think, considering the size of the game. Yeah, and I know uh, Matthew Commandon Strider of Lutris got it working really beautifully on Lutris. Nice. Of course they did. The Lutris team, man. (laughs) They they are a brilliant bunch over there. And I love that we have these hackers because that's what they are, good hackers that go Mm -hmm. in there and get this stuff to work beautifully for us so that we can enjoy Cyberpunk too, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. 
So in the sulfur spotlight this week, we're going to talk about some ways you can kill rootkits. So this is specifically RK Hunter. If you want to check your servers or your desktops or whatever for rootkits in Linux, it lets you search for through. You can search and find things through RK Hunter. It's an easy to use tool which it checks Linux-based computers for presence of rootkits and potentially harmful exploits. So uh, once you install our RK Hunter, simply just type in RK Hunter dash dash check. And then, well, actually, it's sudo. You need to run sudo first, but it'll allow you to use your, to do a system to do the rest of the work for you, and it will just go ahead and give you a full readout along with a log file for all the stuff that it does in these RK Hunter. So it's a really nice way to do something very complex and a very simple approach, and that, that's why it is our spotlight for this week. Can't get better than that. So this week, we're continuing our coverage of Git. If you've been following along, you can now initiate a repository and clone a repository along with adding files to keep track of. Now that we've re created a repository, let's make sure we add our username and email address to it so that people know who created it and how to get a hold of us if something goes wrong. You can do that by entering your Git directory and then typing git space config dash dash global and then your email, and then typing git space config dash dash global, and then your username. And now you've signed your repo, added a file to track, and next week we're, we start discussing the commit actions. So you know cool. What's so exciting important. about this whole git <laughs> thing is uh, a lot of people in the community I'm seeing are starting to talk about it was in our discourse about they're starting to use Git now after Yay. hearing this command. And I know some of these commands, when you're hearing it on a podcast, it's kind of hard to remember, but it just at least gets it in your head to start with and realize that some of this stuff, when you're reading it, sounds really complex. But when yeah. you just go in and do it, it's, it's actually quite simple and follows the step. It's such an important thing for people to learn. So I appreciate that too, the community um, getting in there and making posts and things to help others out yeah. as they're learning Git. And also, while it is worth noting that the, the hearing it on a podcast might not be the best way to learn about it just through an audible a aspect, but we do have the show notes that contain all of the yes. notes for <laughs> each tip for the learning Git. So you'll yeah. see the commands that we just talked about in this episode and also all the episodes that we have already done and will be doing in the future for Git. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love your faces. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all these beautiful people here with us today that got to watch the interview live, that got to participate in all mm -hmm. of the fun and hey. who were very confused by the fact that we actually started exactly on time. But that's... Why are you telling people that we don't start on time? That's... Oh. <laughs> That's why you need to become a patron so you can know these insider secrets. And you yes. also get VIP access to events, live recordings of Destination Linux every single Sunday. Come hang out with us. Come talk with the crew. Come be a part of Destination Linux. And also something that is always on time, that is the DLN store. I don't know what that means. Whatever. You can go to dlnstore.com to pick up some swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and some stickers. We also are adding some more stuff, including a fun section on it because we wanted to create a collection of different things that are not necessarily related to the show, just some like fun things like the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. And we put that in the Because collection. And you might be wondering, why did we create a collection like that? Well, because... 
So, also, you'll be able to, to get a mug to hold the spice of life, a.k.a. coffee, in there. So go there to thedealinstore.com. Check it out because there's so much stuff that you'll, you'll definitely want to get anything and everything that is in the store because, well. Of course. I mean, great Christmas presents, right. too. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Stocking stuffers and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, get get uh, get your friend a stool shirt. I'm sure they'll appreciate. Yeah, that. of course. Yeah. Who doesn't like a stool except everyone who's ever active sat in a chair? Or an active. The, you, even if you don't like stools, you'll like the stool shirt that is also in the Because Collection. Mm-hmm. So there you Our go. Our patrons are wanting deal in hair products, so I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. we could do like a beard oil and absolutely, some other things absolutely yeah. Yeah. love it. <laughs> and for all of you out there who don't know, we have so many wonderful shows here at Destination Linux. We have the Pseudo Show, Ask, Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, and our newest show, You Can Get Your Game On, with Chris Sphere. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Chris Sphere on GameSphere? <laughs> so with uh, Chris Ware with Games Sphere. See, they're very similar. Yeah, they're close. <laughs> it rhymes. It rhymes. Yeah. So it rhymes. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. See you next week. I forgot to ask Mike how I get one of those red hat fedoras he had in the background because I don't see those on the store and I want one. Uh, <laughs> you, have to, you, you have to be a red hat employee. Yeah. It's, you a, have to it's a red hat only for red hatters. You guys hire me yeah. for like an hour and then send me one. Okay. You guys you guys want the inside scoop on this? Yes. You have yes. To, so if you wanna if you want a red hat, you've got to go to jobs.redhat.com, apply and get a job. But the problem, <laughs> the problem is this is as I understand it, this is totally true. We were hiring people so rapidly that the 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 hat manufacturer ran out of hats. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. There's a significant what a delay weird in hiring issue. Yeah. Right. You're one of the few companies in the world that's ever had that issues. Yeah. Right. I'm wondering if there's some bribes I can send out there. Oh, yes. I mean, you yeah. could get Red Hat to hire Michael as a consultant and for some marketing brand thingamabob or whatever, sure. and then he for gets sure. a hat. I could just be an honorary employee and get a hat, right? An honorary. <laughs> I don't think that's how you that works. You could say that you need multiple hats to test them on different <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. How much to test? Uh, I need a beta uh, test the hat. One out to Ryan. Yeah. yeah.